This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everyone, welcome to the latest edition of the Liverpool.com podcast. I'm your host, Mo Stewart, and I'm joined this week by Ben Bokchak and David Lynch. We're here, the final, final moments. The season has finally ended. A season that offered immortality to Liverpool that just couldn't quite grasp it. And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of sat here with mixed feelings at the moment. A lot of pride in what this team achieved, as we saw yesterday in the fantastic parade. But also some sadness and the ones that got away and uh, maybe some of the people who are going to get away. Which brings me on to the subject of this podcast. Uh, Now, already we've discussed exactly what's going on with Sadio Mane on the Morning Bulletin, but this show we're going to go a little bit deeper into the future and how we look to replace our fantastic number 10, one of the greatest players of the Jurgen Klopp era. Now, undoubtedly, David, Liverpool have the pulling power and the spending power to compete for the best players in the world, but that doesn't necessarily mean to say it's going to be an easy task to replace him, does it? No, absolutely, because you know there's so many aspects of of, of his all-round game that I think you you make think you know makes it difficult to replace him. The the, the versatility, uh, the the leadership, the quality, the, the the mentality, the work rate, you know, all these things that have been so key and have made him, you know, for me the really the iconic Jurgen Klopp Liverpool player. Really, the what you know he he has completed the entire journey with this team, dragged them along at times, and. Yeah, the, the fact that you've got to now consider somehow replacing a player who's so key, who's just started up front for you in the Champions League final, it's um, yeah, it's a, it's a huge task. I think the one thing that you would say is a positive is that Liverpool are pretty good at this sort of thing. The, the recruitment record in recent years has been remarkable, possibly best in class, really, in terms of across European football. Um, but yeah, this is, this is really going to be a big test for the recruitment staff because, yeah, they're a really huge player going. Uh, that is a very good point, though, David. They have got a lot of good um, a good credit in the bank so far, even though there is going to be, obviously, the change of regime with uh, Michael Edwards leaving and Julian Ward coming in. So I'll ask you this one, Ben. Um, obviously, Liverpool will have had a plan to replace Sadio Mane. Do you think, though, there's a chance that with this announcement coming, the timing of when it does how, could potentially catch them on the hop a little bit? maybe some of their ideal targets may have already begun talks with other clubs or do you suspect that maybe Liverpool had a wind of this before we did? I mean, I think we kind of saw preparation for it in January already with Luis Diaz arriving. He, he obviously, Mane before that was a left winger. That's where he played and people seem to forget that because of the past few months where he has played in a central role, but Diaz essentially came in and replaced him on the left wing and then Mane just happened to be really good in that force nine position, which meant that he he still played and he was still an integral part of this Liverpool team throughout their journey in, in the Premier League and in the Champions League and in the FA Cup. But I think we kind of have already prepared for it in some ways. That doesn't mean that I think Liverpool can ignore it necessarily. Mm. Mane is leaving and, and not replace him, but it seems like Liverpool is in a sort of comfortable-ish position about him leaving, potentially. Yeah, I mean, we are clearly in the midst of a transition. It's something that we've all been aware that these two or these three fantastic fours we've had for the last five or six years are coming to the end of their career. We are looking to the next evolution of the team. Do you think 
I saw the piece that you wrote uh, last week with talking about what Steven Gerrard mentioned about goals from midfield and how that's something that this team does need to improve on. Do you think that that might be an area where they're looking within the transfer market as well? Or do you think it would be a mistake with obviously Origi leaving as well if there was no forward line replacement? Yeah, I think so. I mean, everyone made a, a big deal out of Liverpool's XG in the Champions League final. But I think that XG was really just the volume of chances Liverpool created rather than the quality of yeah. chances. And I think Klopp made a comment about that as well. He said that the final pass, the passes in the final third were kind of lacking and stuff. And I do think Liverpool need that kind of midfielder who can link the midfield and the attack and who can contribute with assists and goals and some add some creativity to the team, sort of similar to Coutinho, who we haven't had that type of player in the squad. And yeah, I can see if, if Mane does go, I can see Liverpool kind of not necessarily going for a number nine or, or, or a true attacker, but a sort of creative midfielder instead. Now, final question before I ask you to come up with your selections. I'll put this to you, David. Now, we've seen plenty of uh, transfer talk regarding what Manchester City have done with Erling Haaland. And we've seen about the idea of trying to get a, a profile striker, a statement striker, to kind of strike a blow against our rivals. But Liverpool have a profile for the kind of players they want to sign. Do you see any sign of that changing? Oh, absolutely not. I think they're, they're, they're not bothered in the slightest about whether, <laughs> you know, they, they would go out and sign somebody famous to, to you know, make a statement to City or, or land a blow in that way. I don't think they believe in that at all. I think the idea is to just find someone who, who fits the system that they've got as, as well as possible and who can, you know, hopefully hit the ground running in the way that maybe a Luis Diaz has, has, has done so. You know, finding someone who has, has played that type of football before and maybe shouldn't find the transition too difficult and has proven it at a certain level that they can they can get goals and play at that level. So I think, yeah, as long as they get that, as long as they get a good system fit, I don't think they're bothered too too much about it being a big name. And I think that's, you know, Liverpool fans should be happy about that, really. It, it can be sometimes maybe as a, a fan, you maybe stand back and think, you know, it would be nice to get the, the big profile signing sometimes. But I think at the end of the day, you can't argue with the results that Liverpool have had over the last few years and, and what they're doing work. So, I, I, yeah, expect a very similar approach again, to be honest. And the other key thing about that approach is if there is a player who fits that profile but is still expensive, then they haven't been afraid to pay that money out. So, without any further ado, it's time to ask you for who you would be selecting to replace Sadio Mane. Now, Ben, give us your three options, first of all, just a little introduction of each of them, and then we'll go back and discuss. Yeah, I'll probably do it based off of like who I prefer first and then who I prefer the least. Um, so I'll go with Christopher and Kunku first. I, I just think he just seems like a Liverpool player. He's so versatile. He can play in any of the front three positions, could even potentially play as a number 10. He's creative as well as someone who can score goals. So he ranks, I think, in the 90th or 92nd percentile for shot creating actions for 90 on FB ref, but he also ranks in the 99th percentile for goals scored for 90. So, you know, you can see he's, he's, he's a finisher as and a creator as well. And for that reason, I think he would, he would be a perfect addition to that Liverpool team. Um, second, I'm going to go with, um, you know, what we talked about, adding a midfielder to this Liverpool team and uh, someone who can score goals and create. And I've gone with Dominic Sobosley, who is obviously Nkunku's teammate at Salzburg. And uh, I think he would fit 
Liverpool in that sort of more advanced midfield role with uh, a sort of double pivot behind him with Thiago and uh, Fabinho potentially playing that double pivot. And he's someone who but makes a lot of pressures. He has that high work ethic that Klopp wants from his players. He is creative. He has a dangerous shot from long distance. He 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 can he he he's someone who looks for those sort of penetrative passes, but also is good at breaking in uh, to the final third and and scoring. Uh, I think CIES Football Observatory compared him to Kevin De Bruyne recently, which I can see there is a bit of resemblance there. Um, obviously, he's great from set pieces as well, but Liverpool, that's not really an, a priority for Liverpool because we do have Trent Alexander-Arnold <laughs> and Andy Robertson, so it's not something that Liverpool will look at as sort of a, a need or something that they're lacking in. But I think he is an interesting option. And I think because Leipzig are so loaded with attacking midfielders, that's probably an area where they're willing to let someone go this summer. So it, it could be... Uh, a, a good opportunity for Liverpool in terms of his age as well. He's 22. Uh, I think he's turning 22 later this year. So he is kind of the perfect age. And then last, I, I don't think maybe some Liverpool fans are not going to be happy with this one, but we we do already have a new signing and <laughs> he is coming on the 1st of July. His name is Fabio Cavallo and he's been brilliant in the championship. He is someone who can also play on the wing similar to Nkunku and Sobosai, that he can play as an advanced midfielder and he can play as a false nine as well. Mm. And I know people will say, oh, he's only done it in the championship. He has already scored in the Premier League as well, of course. And at the same time, like some recent championship graduates this season, uh, include Arnaut Danjuma, who's now being also being linked with a big move to Liverpool. I think recently Conor Gallagher has made the step up Ivan Tony as well. He's done mm-hmm. well since coming to from the Championship to the Premier League. I think Michael Olisay, even though he's had injury problems, he's still averaged 0.70 goal contributions or there or there around for Crystal Palace. Mark Gray is even captain Crystal Palace. And then if you're looking at the last, the season before the last season in the Championship, Jared Bowen was playing there. Jude mm-hmm. Bellingham was playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of talent from the championship and a lot of precedence for championship players making the step up. So I think there is potential there for Kawaii to do the same. Yeah, there's some bold claims in there, but I think they're all quite strong ones as well. I think the thing we have to remember, particularly starting with Carvalho working backwards this time, um, Klopp and Pep Landers will have had a plan for him for a very, very long time because we've already spent six months trying to sign him. So they will have a plan for exactly how they want to integrate him to the side. So do you expect him to have the ability to have an early impact or maybe he's going to have to struggle for game time early on? Or could you see him doing what Javier did at the start of last season, for example? So go on, Ben. (laughs) For me, I think it all depends on his pre-season. Like with Elliot as well, he came in pre-season and and he kind of stole the show for Liverpool. So... As long as he has a, a solid preseason, I think uh, he there is a chance there. And uh, then, of course, it's about I think he has a great opportunity during the World Cup in around November time when uh, some of the key Liverpool players will be gone uh, to to kind of show himself then as well. So I think it may take a little bit of time for him to adjust 
um, which is natural for every sort of Liverpool player who comes into the system, except maybe for Luis Diaz <laughs> or Mohamed Salah, who, 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 you know, hit the ground running straight away. But um, I think over time that there, there is potential there. There is great potential there. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I think what's interesting about that one is that the, the, the Liverpool have said that they do see him as a forward initially as well. I know he's played in sort of central sort of midfield attacking midfield positions, but they maybe do see him as a, you know, maybe starting off that left-hand side, which obviously Mane had been moved moved away from since Diaz signed. But, you know, maybe he can he can get a few minutes being Diaz is essentially his backup there and, and, you know, seeing how many minutes he can get off that position would be, It'd be interesting to see. I, I don't see how he maybe factors across the other positions, you know, maybe in centrally. I mean, perhaps so, in fact, as a, as a sort of Firmino type attacking midfielder slash sort of forward. Um, it, it's sort of really interesting how exactly Liverpool see him profiling. But I, but I totally agree with what Ben says in terms of the step up between the Championship and the Premier League. We've seen so many players do that so well recently that Carvalho, you know, for him to have done it at such a young age in a similar way to Harvey Elliott did on loan at Blackburn. Uh, that season, and I think you know you can have real confidence that he can come in and, and make a, an impact. Whether that's a, a Sadio Mane level impact, we'll we'll have to see. And that I think that's the big question, isn't it? Is whether anyone can do that. But yeah, a, a talent who who he's he's shown he's good enough to to be in and around this Liverpool squad, even you know despite his tender years. So really, sort of excited to see how he gets on. Definitely one to watch. And as you say, the Championship is a really good breeding ground. And another seemingly reliable breeding ground at the moment is uh, the Razzans Ball Sport Selection Group. And Dominic Zobelsley, as you mentioned there, Ben, he's come through that because he's come through Salzburg into Leipzig. Took a little bit of time to settle at Leipzig, but he's now really beginning to show his best, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I think he's kind of... Uh, obviously struggled with an injury when he first arrived, so um, that ruled him out for a, a while. Um, and then, but then this season he's come back and he's been really strong. He's had to sort of come on sometimes in the last few minutes, and but he's still been able to make an impact. I think he scored six or seven goals off the bench uh, alone for Leipzig, so that shows you that he has that ability to make an impact in a short space of time. He's someone who has the confidence and the determination. He's never sort of deterred by not playing as much. Um, he's always confident, which, which is a, another good thing. Klopp likes those type of players, you know, who are not bothered um, necessarily because they're confident that over time they will win him over and they will be a regular. So he's someone who has that patience and uh, the confidence as well. Like earlier on when... Um, against Paris Saint-Germain when he scored uh, an equaliser in the 90th minute. Um, Neymar sort of tried to play mind games with him and uh, I think he told him, like, uh, Neymar asked him, like, are you going to score? And he was like, yeah, of course, I'm ne- I never miss. And, and he it, he did in the end. So, you know, that, that kind of confidence. He's spoken highly of Klopp in the past as well. Uh, I think he named him as the manager he wants to work with um, in the future. So th- there is uh, a, lot, a lot of precedence there. I think, sorry, sorry, Mike, just to come in on that, I think I think that the, the idea of adding threat from from that sort of central midfield position is vital as well. I think it's something that Liverpool should really think about, you know, not not that all the decisions they make should be made off the back of what happened in the Champions League final. And, you know, you maybe you're not going into a season, next season thinking, oh, we've got to have seven or eight goals coming from outside the box because they look great. It's, it, it's more what having someone who possesses that threat does to deep defensive lines in terms of, 
pull central defenders out to try and charge down a shot because they know that someone can put it in the top corner from distance. Then that creates space for your centre forward and, and things like that. And it, it really is important because, you know, when Liverpool they, they lost very few games last season, but when they, when they do tend to lose games, it's, it's against teams that defend deep and close the spaces and make things difficult. And if they don't believe that you have any threat from outside the box, then that makes things slightly easier for them to do that, especially if, got high, if you're doing it with high-quality players like Real Madrid did. So to, to have that that sort of goal-scoring threat from the middle is, is something they, I, I, I agree they should maybe really think about too, uh, you know, because that will just help out the forwards massively. There is an interesting um, topic to talk about um, the, the, the lack of those kind of midfielders in across European football in general when you think about previous areas of the... <clears throat> Steven Gerrard, uh, uh, even Frank Lampard kind of midfielder who would regularly score lots of goals from outside the box. It don't seem to be as many around. So if Liverpool can get the jumper on this one, then that might be working really well. And to kind of bring Nkunku into the midfield uh, um, conversation as well, Ben, that's one of the beauties of him. We have seen him play as an attacking midfielder. So if you are playing against maybe a team where you, you expect to dominate the ball, you're going to want to create a lot of chances, a low-block team, as David said. You could have him and then another three forwards in front of him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that would that would be the ideal sort of scenario for Liverpool. Uh, obviously, they've tried it with Firmino in the past and, and it has kind of worked at times when Firmino has come on. Unfortunately, in the Champions League, it didn't really. I feel like he kind of came on a bit too late, perhaps. In the final, but he has come on in the past, and Liverpool have looked good with that. They call it a front four, but I think Firmino, when he does play in that position, is more he's more as a, a sort of number ten type. So I wouldn't call it a number four, a, a front four necessarily. But um, I do think I would like to see a bit more of that against low block sides sometimes, uh, because now we have Thiago and Fabinho who are excellent at, at, at that double pivot. So we don't necessarily need to worry about the threat of counter-attacks, especially with the addition of Ibrahim Konate, who seems to have the pace and uh, the ability to deal with uh, counter-attacks well. And, and obviously the same with Virgil van Dijk. You know? uh, so I think um, that, that would be an interesting formation to try out more next season. I suspect we will see it more. I do think the club's getting more and more used to it over the course of the last season or so. And with that many good forwards to, to choose from, it kind of makes sense. Okay, David, it's your turn now. As I say, the first three, and then we'll dive in a little bit deeper. Yeah, so uh, I, I want to state before this, I, I'm absolutely no scout. I wouldn't say I've got any level of expertise at picking players, and I, I, I'd prefer to leave it to the experts. But there's a few standouts who, who I, I think would, would maybe be options. Obviously, and Kunku is, is on my list as well, you know, for all the reasons we sort of went through, basically just very flexible footballer who, who you know, looks very made for Jurgen Klopp's sort of football, really, that that link with Leipzig and, and, and the Salzburg clubs. And because of the football they play, just seems like a he'd be a very, very good fit for this Liverpool team. I think there, there are some question marks maybe to be answered over the strength of the Bundesliga at the moment and what the, the type of goals that forwards tend to score in that league in terms of counter-attacking goals the sort that Liverpool don't get the chance to score as much these days because teams just tend to sit in and, and close space against them. And you do wonder whether Nkunku will, will maybe find that, that step up a little difficult in the way that Timo Werner did coming from the same team to, to this league. But, you know, like we say, there's, there's so much quality there that you, you hope he'd be able to, to, to make that transition. Um, in terms of my, my, my second option, um, it got mentioned earlier, Arno Danjuma at Villarreal. Um, you know, again, we said about 
players are making the step up from the championship. He's gone. He's made that move to to La Liga and, and continued to score goals in the Champions League as well. Very impressive this season. I think the only thing you would maybe hold against him at the moment is whether he's had had enough of that top level experience. But you know, Liverpool. I know Liverpool have looked at him in the past and, and do like him. So you know, you think if they are looking for a forward, he's at least going to be discussed somewhere in the among the recruitment staff. Um, and then my third option was Bakayo Saka at Arsenal, which I know Arsenal fans would be devastated to, to hear that mention or the possibility of, of losing a, you know, one of the top young talents to a Premier League rival. But I just think a, a player of that, that quality, you know, the quality shown at such a young age in, in this league. And I just think he's, he's going to be a, a phenomenal player. Um, if there is maybe one small doubt about him, it's about, you know, whether is he ready to come in and do what Liverpool need him to do? He he is only 20. Does he need a little bit more time to get there? But but yeah, it's a top quality player who, who, who Jürgen Klopp's made no secret that he likes. And, and Liverpool, again, another one who they've watched very closely in the past, maybe thought they had a chance of pinching him from Arsenal previously. So yeah, that, that's my that's my three options. Um, uh, maybe shoot them apart if you want, boys. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, far from shooting them apart, no. But I am going to zero in on the Saka one because it is... I think it's something that a lot of Liverpool fans have maybe daydreamed about at certain points over the last two seasons because he does look like not only a really intelligent young player, but one who's got a lot of levels to go to. But the timing is the interesting part of it. And you mentioned, obviously, there are still parts of this game to develop, but also where Arsenal are in their development. And they missed out on the Champions League to Tottenham, which obviously is going to be a big blow to them. It's going to make them a, a weaker proposition in terms of bringing in players. But someone like Saka, he's got a strong connection to that club and it almost feels like Arteta's building something. Is that going to be possibly one of the hardest parts of uh, bringing him away from uh, from Arsenal at the moment? I just think Arsenal are in a very difficult position regardless of that fact though. He may wish to stay there and drag them back to the Champions League but I think you know he's got two years left on his contract. I, I, I think he'd be daft if he signed a, an extension to that just in terms of limiting his own options and making things difficult if he did need to get out, you know, say next season, Arsenal finish outside the Champions League places again. He doesn't want to stick himself there by, you know, having another four years to run. So I think it's a it's a tricky situation. And I think Arsenal, again, they want to, won't want to leave themselves in a situation where they're not getting the fee they should for a player of that that potential. You know, if they, if they let him run it down to, to maybe one year next season and they, they only end up in the Europa League or the Europa Conference League, it's a very, very difficult situation, which... You know, it makes you think that if Liverpool went in and he went in hard with a with a really decent fee for a player they've liked for a long time, so it's it's feasible. Then, you know, maybe that would that would make things really difficult for Arsenal. I think, you know, there's there's so much appeal there in terms of his versatility as well. That you know, he can play in so many different positions. But I also think that because you've seen a lot more of him recently, maybe on the on the right hand side of the attack, and, and Liverpool may look at it thinking maybe that's the area we strengthen rather than left hand side because they've moved Mane away from there. It's Diaz's preferred position. It's where Jota can can work sometimes. He probably prefers that maybe to, to being up front. And then you've also got Carvalho who want to play off that side. So I think there's an argument that maybe if you're looking to strengthen now and you, you go for a forward, that maybe you do go for a left footer who plays on the right-hand side. And I think Saka fits that bill. I think it's just there's so much about this move that, that makes sense. Um, you know, it, It's just like you say, maybe, maybe Saka would think, do I want to hang on? But I just think... The opportunity to play in the club, to play guaranteed Champions League football, to, to challenge for trophies, um, and, and also know that you're working with a manager who's consistently made young players better. I just think it would appeal to him so much. It's uh, it, it just seems like a no-brainer, really, to me to 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 
think that he would be one of the names he would really be considering. It would be a really interesting move. And particularly that point you make about strengthening on the right-hand side, Ben, because what that kind of brings into play is the other unspoken thing, which we haven't really spoke, talked about in this show at all, which is Mo Salah, who has said that he is definitely going to be here next season. But I feel like there is some space between those quotes to fill in the, the likelihood of whether or not he's going to be here beyond that. So the idea of Liverpool bringing in someone like Bakayo Saka and looking at him as a future mainstay on their right-hand side, where does that put things with Mohamed Salah? And do you think that Liverpool would be even concerned about how he would feel about Liverpool bringing in Bakayo Saka? The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I mean, obviously, he's a very competitive person. I think he, before the Champions League final, he spoke about how there's not really, thank, he said, thankfully, there's not that much competition for uh, on the right and everything, and all the competition seems to be on the left. And he seemed grateful about that. So it would be interesting to see what he would think about potentially Bukayo Saka uh, contesting him for that role in the same way as Luis Diaz has done uh, to Sadio Mane. Uh, although, again, I'm, I'm not sure, like David said, like I'm not sure if Saka can be of that quality, or similar to Salah, uh, at least for now anyway. He's still only 20 and um, obviously he's got a long way to go in his career. But in terms of if Liverpool are building for the future, he's, he's one of the best players to get. Um, it, it, who is potentially available in the market, like we, we talked about, he does have a two-year contract. I think Arsenal have tried to extend that contract, but he's kind of stalled on negotiations, rightfully so, because mm-hmm. Arsenal do feel like a club who kind of just stuck in between that Europa League and no Europa League sort of limbo. They ha- they haven't really made the step up to the Champions League. And I think this season was probably one of their best chances of making um, the Champions League. I mean, they were four points up with three games to go and uh, or something like that. And they still uh, failed to miss out on that spot. So I think Saka will think about his future in, in the coming weeks and months, potentially, and definitely, definitely in the coming year. And if, if Liverpool have the funds and the means to, to, to bring him to the club it, with a, the potential sale of Mane, then uh, I think it's a no-brainer. It is. And I'm always in favour of power moves that make you better and one of your rivals weaker. That's always one of my favourites. So, yes, that's another tick for Saka. Come on, Bukai, you know what makes sense. Now, with uh, I'm going to talk about Arnaut Downjima now as well. He is a little bit older than Saka, but as you mentioned, hasn't necessarily had a whole lot of top flight experience. Now, he's someone who's been interested in Manchester United from what I've seen so far, Ben. Um do you think that he would probably get more games in that team? And when you think towards someone like the World Cup that's coming, he's still trying to establish himself in that Dutch national squad. Maybe that might be more appealing to him at this stage, even though it is obviously Manchester United. Um, I mean, I don't necessarily think so. I think uh, if if Mane is to leave Liverpool, then there is a chance for Dan Juma. To, to play a lot of games because he is someone who can play centrally and has done so for Villarreal as well as being able to play on the left and the right. And uh, I think in terms of, um, you know, he knows that Liverpool were interested in him uh, 
last summer so he, he knows the club have watched him for a long time and they they've liked him for a long time and I think for as a player that will maybe in some way be appealing to him because he knows that the club have kept an eye on him and they kind of have a vision for him and they they, they see his potential um you know fitting in with what Jurgen Klopp needs at Liverpool whereas with Manchester United I think their interest is only is only quite recent so and, and and obviously there is a sort of precedence for United signings at the moment the likes of Jadon Sancho and um other rivals Donny van den Beek for example who haven't really hit the ground running at United and I think for him that will be a concern going into you know Old Trafford potentially where you know he, he's seen all these other players not do as well and then at the same time Luis Diaz has come in at Liverpool and people were sort of you know had question marks whether he's going to play how much is he going to play he's basically played most of the minutes available to him at the club since he's come and um i think that will kind of make him feel more co- more confident about the whole situation 100% i mean luis diaz started a champions league final within 6 months of arriving at the club if that doesn't tell people that you can come in and make an impact at liverpool i don't know what does and also i quite like the idea of it going full circle with uh, another player turning down manchester united to come to liverpool because that's exactly what sadio mane did now <laughs> For my own personal pick, because I have to throw one in there simply because no one mentioned him, um, it is a slightly left field because it is a he is very much a central striker, even though he has appeared on either side in previous incarnations of his career. I'm going to go for the most Sadio Mane-like player in European football, and that's Victor Osimhen. Every time I look at him playing for Napoli, I think, yes, he has all of the qualities to do exactly what Sadio does for him. He has the intelligence, he has the technical ability, the strength and the fear that he puts into opponents. And he can score all kinds of goals. And it would probably be a slightly more expensive option than some of the others we've mentioned. But if he's 23 years old. He's got the whole of his career ahead of him. I think if we brought him in, he could be absolutely devastating for us. But I'm not a scout either. <laughs> None of us are. So I think a nice way to round off the show, as we are talking about the future beyond Mane, let's take a moment to celebrate the player that we technically do still have and have had over the last few seasons. So I'm going to ask you both for your favourite Sadio Mane moment. It doesn't have to be a goal, just something that you will always think of whenever you see him in a red shirt. So, David, I'll start with you. I, I, I would mention one goal, obviously, when I remember being at Arsenal in the press box. I never worked for the club back then, actually, just to, to see him at Arsenal when he scored He scored the goal, cutting in off the right. Um, just to, cause that, But I remember having conversations at the time when he signed, sort of thinking Liverpool signing another player from Southampton. The last couple of not really worked out. You know, is this, is this a good idea? Couldn't really see it working out. And, I, you know, I, I knew he'd shown some quality there, but... Yeah, from that from that moment forward, just being absolutely sort of stunned by the quality of that goal, and then he he, he was the main man really in terms of dragging Liverpool to top four that season. So I, I do remember that that moment vividly. But the, the, just a, one other one I'd, I'd like to mention is that um, I do remember being in the mix zone once, waiting for him to come through, and he he come through, and we asked him to stop, and he and he apologised, saying he, he couldn't he couldn't stop, and it said to James Pierce, he he offered him, he said, I'll, I'll stop next time, but can I just give you a hug this time? <laughs> and then, and then they embraced, and he walked away. And I just thought that sort sort of sums him up as a guy, just a really humble, funny, you know, bit cheeky guy, but a, a world class footballer with it as well. So yeah, 
just a, a top guy, very missed by by the by the press, the fans, and everyone at the club. And go. And he knew full well no one would turn down the opportunity to hug Sadio Mane, regardless of what exactly. <laughs> ben, what about you? What's your favourite Sadio moment? I think it's the same season for me when when he scored that winner against Everton. I think that made him kind of cult hero at, at, in the, at the beginning of his Liverpool career, very early on, uh, kind of, uh, you know, all, already people were warming up to him, but that winner definitely helped in terms of his reputation at the club. And uh, I think it, it was a special moment. It was an iconic Park, moment, yeah. sure. Yeah. And um, the first of a long relationship with uh, making Everton feel sad, which I, I which brings me on to my choice, <clears throat> which is actually from the title winning season, 1920 season. And it's not just the goal he scored, which is a fantastic breakaway by Trent Alexander-Arnold and a beautiful finish, but he was unplayable in that game. He, he set one up for Origi. He set one up for Shakiri as well. And it was just symptomatic of how imperious he was that season. I remember coming away from um, 2019 where we won the Champions League, thinking, how is this going to change? How are we going to get able to go that final step? And he, at so many different points in that year, stood up and said, we are going to get this. We are going to go and take that title. And that game is one I always remember because after I remember coming out of it just thinking, yeah, Sadio Mane is not going to settle for not winning this league. And as it turned out, he was right. Unfortunately, it looks like he'll only get one Premier League title with Liverpool. But all the memories he has given us, I want to say thank you personally. Just like I want to say thank you to David and Ben for joining us on this little trip. Whoever Liverpool decide to replace him with, let's hope he's as good. See you all next week. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.